with me and think back to what you've read from scriptures. And if you've not read, let me catch you up to speed this morning. As we come this morning to celebrate Easter, I want you to think about a few things with me. The Hosannas had been sung. The priest and their plot had been finished. Peter's denial had passed and Judas' betrayal was fulfilled. The Romans had exacted their punishment and nailed Jesus to the cross. Passover had been celebrated and the Sabbath had been honored. But then came the morning. Someone sent me a message yesterday and said, you didn't post any videos of fear the last couple of days. And in my spirit, I felt like there was nothing for me to say over Friday and Saturday knowing that Jesus didn't say anything for that period. And that simply His death on the cross could speak more than I could. But then came the morning. Can you imagine with me as it says very early in the morning? The gardener had got up very early, no doubt before daylight. He had made his coffee. He had went out to do his work. The women still torn in sorrow over the death of their son, their friend, their mentor, their healer went to anoint a dead body. And yet, as they arrived in the garden, they found out that not only would their lives forever change, the world would change. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 28 this morning. And as you're turning with me, I want you to think about something. Jesus literally divided time. We talked about all of these things that had finished. We Last week we spoke of that Palm Sunday. We spoke of that triumphal entry. We saw Jesus busy all the way up to where he gets down on his face and he prays before the Father so intensely that his sweat became as great drops of blood there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they came and with the betrayal of a kiss, they arrested him and took him off to Caiaphas' house where they beat him and they mocked him. And then they led him away and led him up into Pilate's judgment hall. And there, having said, I find no fault in this man, refused to stand for what was right. And instead, they turned loose an insurrectionist, a murderer, a thief named Barabbas. And they led Jesus out to a place called Skull Mountain, nailing him to a cross and watching him suffer that day as the blood of our Lord and Savior fell to the earth. He spoke many things, several things, seven things from the cross. He 
as we have said last week, he spoke to his mother, he spoke to John, he spoke to the father, but the last thing he said, it is finished. Do you realize as we come this morning, we recognize that very early in the morning when that, when that sun broke the horizon and the stone was rolled away, though Rome had put its seal on the door, God who created the universe in the person of the Son, incarnate, had risen from the dead. You see, shortly after the resurrection, there were two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus who had not heard the good news. They were beside themselves. They were so distraught over the last few days. They had lost all hope. When Jesus joined them, he asked them why they were so sad. And they were honest. They said, dude, where you been? It's like talking to someone today and not hearing about the pandemic. Really? How could you not hear about this? Have you not heard? They have crucified Jesus. And we had hoped he was our Messiah. There can be no Savior without a resurrection. You see, in that moment that Jesus arose, that moment where the stone was rolled away, not only was the betrayals and the denials and all of that of the past over and all the palm leaves and all of the ceremony, all of those temporal miracles of that day, the last Old Testament prophet had proclaimed the last words of a coming Messiah. The Old Testament had been sealed, fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Not one law broken, even to the every jot and every tittle. Jesus fulfilled it for you and me. The Old Testament was sealed and completed on this glorious Lord's Day. Listen, there can be no Savior without a resurrection. Anyone can die. And we use that scripture so readily these days referring to soldiers and first responders and, and it is so unbelievable what they do in putting their life on the line. But I want you to understand anyone can die for a cause but only Christ can overcome death. Only He can die for our sins, church. Today I want to look at two simple things. Because, listen, there is nothing new under the sun and surely there's nothing new we need to try to discover out of the resurrection. We just simply need to see the truth of what it is. You see, the Easter message centers on resurrection. Matthew 28. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. I don't know about you. Have you ever got through a week and think, man, I just, I wish this week was over. During this time of quarantine and social distancing, it seems like every week is a month long. And we're like, boy, we just want this thing over. We just want it over. Think about the week Jesus had. He said that he came unto his own and his own received him not. 
prior to going in, he had went up on the Mount of Olives and looked down over the city of Jerusalem and wept and cried, Oh, Jerusalem, how long have I tried to take you as a mother hen would take her brood under her wings and you would not let me. His heart broke and his body pierced for our transgressions. He tells us that the new week had dawned. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door. And I love this. Angels have swagger. They just do. He rolls it back, and then he just gets up there and sits down on it. And as he sat down upon that stone, His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake, became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not. Fear not. For I know, I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. Hear me today, church. We, as Baptists, we are not iconic, or we are iconoclastic. We don't hang icons all over the place. And I'm not trying to dog anyone out, but I want to tell you something today. Jesus is not still on the cross. And he surely is not still in the tomb. Our symbols of victory is a empty cross and a barren tomb that Jesus as we heard sung just a moment ago, has overcome. He overcame the death of the cross, the punishment for us. And so he says here, and for fear of him the keepers shook and fell as dead men. And the angels, or the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified He is not here. It's pretty good news. For I know, I know you look for him, but he's not here. He is risen. As he said, come, come, see the place where the Lord lay. Today, the Easter message centers on the resurrection. We have no Savior without the resurrection. Christianity, by definition, is centered on Christ. And Christ is centered on His his sinless life, His virgin birth, His vicarious death, but in His glorious resurrection. There's been many great men and women who have served God throughout time, but no one was the Son of God that left heaven, came to earth, and served without sin so that he may die for sin. Notice the foreshadowing of the resurrection. You know, as we look in the Old Testament, I love to read Joseph in Genesis. And I love to see the types and shadows through Moses and Joseph and others. There are many types and shadows of the coming Messiah in the Old Testament, foreshadowing his servanthood, his leadership, and many other things. But do you know, as you look through the Old Testament, there was no way 
to truly display through a type or shadow the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All there was was prophecy. There's kind of a picture we see in one place of Jonah, but notice here in Jesus' life, he gives a foreshadowing of his impending death, burial, and resurrection. We see it as we preached not too long ago about how he raised Jairus' 12-year-old daughter in Mark 5. We see it by Jesus raising the widow's son in Luke 7. And then that wonderful passage that happened just over the hill from where Jesus left an empty tomb. As he stood there outside another tomb and cried, Lazarus, come forth. And I just can only imagine I've stood there at the mouth of Lazarus' tomb. I've walked down in it. And I can only imagine it looking like a Scooby-Doo cartoon. For he said when he came out of the tomb, he was still bound in his grave clothes. And I can imagine him going, and they're like, what are you saying? And they go up and they say, what is it, Lazarus? Get these things off of me. For he was no longer dead. At the word of Jesus, Lazarus came forth. Now, I always heard this as a young preacher and I was kind of skeptical. The older I get, the more I appreciate it because as you leave Bethany where Lazarus' tomb was and you crest the top of Mount of Olives and you look across the Kidron Valley at the old city of Jerusalem in that Temple Mount, between you and that is nothing but sepulchers, above-ground tombs, because they believe when the Messiah comes, he will raise them all from the dead. And so they bury him above ground. Many have proposed that Jesus very explicitly said, Lazarus, come forth. For if he had just simply said, come forth, everyone would have risen because of the power of his voice. Listen, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now I want you to realize something. All around us, people are dead in their sins. All around us. You have family members. You have friends. You have children. You have parents. You have co-workers. You yourself know right now that you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And I'm not making light, but during this season of being separated from work and separated from church and other things, it has driven you to seek something more. And so maybe you've read your Bible. You've never really read it before. Maybe you have tuned in today and you've tuned in in past weeks and you're listening to other preachers. And right now the Spirit of God is speaking into your life you have never confessed me as the risen Savior who is Christ the Lord. You have never confessed your sins, repented and been made whole. We sing, I am alive. I am alive because of Him. Because of Him. Listen, all around us people are dead in their sins. They're not living, they're simply existing. Are you simply existing today? Dead lives, dead marriages, dead families, dead churches. Do you need the new life that is Jesus Christ? He is not here. I know you're looking for a dead Jesus. There is no dead Jesus. There's a live one. 
There is the risen Savior. The prediction of his own resurrection not only foreshadows, but predicts. He said in Matthew 12, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He tells them in John 2, and this really made them mad. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. This was God's plan from the beginning. Now I want to tell you, when we went to Israel, we went to Jerusalem, we went to the western wall or the wailing wall, there are stones from Solomon's temple and stones from Herod's temple and you go down and you come to a place that there's a, a glowing plaque because it's underground now because of the walls being torn down and rebuilt because of the earthquake you can see the great arch that used to lead on to the temple mount has all fallen and those roads that were there that Jesus walked on are still there but they have been crumbled by that earthquake over 2,000 years ago. But as you go down through that tunnel, you get to a place and you see where it says you're standing at the closest point to where the Holy of Holies were. It'll make the hair stand up on your arms when you stand there. And then the guy looks over and he said, look at this stone as part of the foundation stone. And you see this stone, he said, it's 1,400 feet long. We have no earthly idea even with the greatest of engineering minds, have come and examined this stone. They cannot even get close to guessing how much this stone weighed and how they were able to get it there. Oh, as we look, and if you've ever seen illustrations of what the temple would look like as God described how they should build it in the Old, Old Testament, it is it was an engineering marvel. It was a masterpiece that makes the Taj Mahal look like a Motel 6. And so for Jesus, what they perceived was Him mocking that which God told Him to build. Yet they didn't realize that He was literally God in the flesh saying, tear this body down and in three days I will raise it back up. We see the evidence of his resurrection. This is where the atheist refused to face fact. You see, people argue, you Christians, y'all don't want to hear about science. We just don't do bad science. We do real science. We trust the truth of Scripture. We trust the Lord over theories. And the truth is that Jesus is resurrected. And we know that, not out of fairy tales and not out of simple oral tradition, but the facts remain. There are more factual evidence to support the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the eyewitnesses, than there are of Hitler's demise or of Nero's existence. Listen, Lies were told and are still being told about the empty tomb. The first one they said, tell everybody his apostles stole him. Remember that? Many of you may have read, and if you haven't, you're looking for something to read during this time. 
You need to get on Amazon or get on something and look up anything by Lee Strobel on the case for Christ. A man who is a devout atheist that set out to prove that Christians were crazy, there's no way Jesus could have lived. He was an investigator. He really dug deep. And the more he dug, the more he found Jesus. And he didn't just find out that he was real. He found out that he was real to him and trusted him. Listen, they've been telling lies from the beginning. Oh, tell everybody the apostles stole him. Tell everybody the Romans stole him. So you've got the, the Romans saying, tell everybody that his disciples stole him. And then you've got the Jews saying, tell them the Romans stole him. When Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, came out, they were livid. There was one group living said, oh, he made the Jews look bad. And then another group said he made the Romans look bad. I'm going to tell you something today. And if you miss everything else from this message, hear me today. The Jewish high priest did arrest him and lied about him. The Romans did put him on a cross and stand him up between heaven and hell. But make no mistake about it. It was your sin and mine that crucified our Lord. The Romans stole his body. The Pharisees stole his body. Man, they just went on, went on. And and listen, they kept trying to throw something against the wall until it stuck. But just like the stone, it would not stay. They even accused those who went of saying, y'all were just overcome with grief and you went to the wrong tomb. You went to the wrong tomb. Now, it's been a long time since I've been to the cemetery in Powder Springs, Georgia. It's been a long time. But I have no doubt in my mind with the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gravestones out there, I could go straight to my grandparents' grave because I know it's personal. This was their family member. This was their best friend. And I don't care how overcome with grief, you know where to go. They were not mistaken. They went to the right tomb. And then those that even in religious circles want to present is what's called the swoon theory. This is where we get Pelagianism. We get all kinds of false doctrine. Listen, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, and the Athanasian Creed was all born out of some of this false doctrine, which literally said that if he was God in the flesh, then there's no way for him to die. They can't understand the kenosis. They don't fully uh, uh, understand the hypostatic union of 100% God, 100% man. And so they try to explain it away in an anthropomorphic way. They try to say, listen, he just swooned. He didn't really die. He was kind of comatose or his spirit kind of separated before he died on the cross, but that he didn't really die. But those creeds says he was very God of very God. Because the world would say, no, he wasn't very God. And here's what I love about the creed. It doesn't say he was God as God. He said he was very God of very God. He was the Christ. He was God incarnate. Just as much as God 
in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Jesus is God. You see, there's many eyewitnesses. The women, Peter, you remember when Peter came running? The disciples, to whom also the Bible says in Acts 1.3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his suffering, after his passion, by many infallible proofs. Remember what we said about that? Not by many inerrant proofs, but by many infallible proofs. That literally means that not only is it without error, it can't have error because Jesus did it. And for 40 days, he appeared to them in speaking of the kingdom of God. After this, He was seen of about 500, the Bible says. Paul, James, the disciples. 1 Corinthians 15, that great resurrection chapter, said, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried. And aren't you glad it doesn't stop there? It's not a period. There's a comma. He said... It's a comma splice because it is not over yet. He said, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That he was seen by Cephas, or Paul, uh, Peter, then by the twelve. Now Paul's writing this. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Can you imagine going to some of the first churches in those days and you walk in and you sit down. Man, you're excited. You've heard about the Lord and you sit down with some friends and they elbow you and say, hey, hey, you see that old man over there? Man, he saw Jesus. He was one of the 500. You see that woman over there? She met Jesus before he ascended. You're like, dude, you know, growing up, my mom would say, you see him? He was a prisoner of war in World War II. You see, you see her? Man, she, she saw this and she was there. And, and you know, as a kid, my eyes would get big. He tells us right here, many that saw him still remain at that time. And after that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, Paul said, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. You see, no amount of lies can cover up that tomb is empty. Not because someone stole his dead body, but because Jesus is victorious. Transformed lives come from it. Listen, we can go from fear to fearlessness. We we can't help but speak of Him. I, I had a professor in Bible college that he told us, he said, listen, if it's in you, if He's in you, He's gonna come out because He is King of kings and Lord of lords. So if you can help it, help it. But if you can't, have at it. And if Jesus resides in you, You ought to be screaming into the world, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. I know, listen, we all face fear, but He is living so that we may go to fearlessness. We all face despair, but He's come that we may have hope. 
And he said, not just any hope, but the blessed hope of knowing that he's coming again. And from gloom to joy, oh, weeping endures for a night. I imagine that Saturday night was a very, very, very sad night. Think, Mary lost her only son. Her, her, well, not at that time, but her, her firstborn. Think what may have gone through her mind. He had brothers, but they were not all messiahs. The difference? Jesus didn't have an earthly father in the way that they did. He had an earthly father that took care and married his mother after his birth. But Jesus was conceived by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit over a virgin named Mary. And imagine as she may have laid down that Saturday night and being a righteous woman, no doubt, still partook of the Seder. They blessed the bread and blessed the juice and they served and they ate. But as she laid down, she may have went back to Nazareth and thought about that angel coming and saying, Hail Mary. Thou who art highly favored above all other women. Listen, as she went to bed with great gloom and despair, she would find out not long after she had gotten up that her gloom would turn to everlasting joy. The significance of the resurrection is because he overcome death, we will too. We will too. Listen, I don't know. I don't know what this pandemic holds. I know I look at the numbers, I, not like I was. But realizing every number in every line is a person. People are hurting. Families are hurting. We see it on the news every day. We saw it through the war in Iraq. We see it in Afghanistan. We've seen it in our life. We saw it through that Space shuttle, disaster, both of them. We saw it on 9-11. And it's so heart-wrenching. We see it when they go into towns after a tornado has blown through. And we see how it has ravaged and taken people's lives, such as in Tuscaloosa or Joplin or other places. But I'm here to tell you today that the significance of the resurrection is because Jesus is resurrected through Him as our Lord and Savior, we will too. You see, when he gets to the end of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, O death, where's your sting? O grave, where's your victory? For Jesus had sealed it. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, in Adam... All die. All of us will die. It is appointed unto man once to die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Romans 6, 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Jesus told Martha this. Boy, they were distraught as well. He said, if you'd have been here, Jesus, man, I love you and I, I, I'm not mad, but if you'd have been here, our brother would not have died. 
Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And I want to ask you what Jesus asked her. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus can put your life into place. He can put life into your lifeless spirit today. He can change your forever. Just as He changed the world that glorious early morning on the Lord's day, today on the Lord's day, early in your life today, Jesus can rush into that which is dead and make alive if you trust Him. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins and you tell Him, Lord, you died for me, you who knew no sin, crucified on a cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, but thank God because of that glorious day that we, the world, celebrates today. Lord, may I know you. May I trust you. Oh, God, save me today. Then the Easter message was meant to be shared. Look in verse 7 of Matthew 28. He said, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Go and tell. Go and tell. How much harder does it have to be? I just don't like to speak in front of anybody. If Jesus can hang on a cross with people spitting on him and pulling his beard and mocking him, and you can't stand and tell somebody what Jesus did for you, if Jesus can die for you, you can't live for him. He said, go and tell. As we've talked about before, we call the end of this chapter the great commission. It's not the great consideration. It's not up for debate. If God has saved you, then he's called you, go and tell. Amen. He said, behold, he goes into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. My great friend Marcus Merritt told me this morning, he said, you realize, he said, I know you do. You traveled it with me. He said, Jesus was telling him to go to Galilee. That's about 80 or 90 miles. Now, I want you to understand, we were in a nice tour bus. They didn't have a tour bus. They didn't, ha they didn't have a car. And chances are, they didn't even have an animal to ride. They probably would have to walk that 80 to 90 miles to get to Galilee from Jerusalem. But Jesus said, Go up, he told them through the angel, he said, the angel said, go up there and he'll meet you there. You see, it's not faith by sight, it's sight by faith. They believed when they left Jerusalem, they would see him when they got to Galilee. The Easter message must be shared. He said, go and tell them, tell them all that Jesus is alive and departing quickly from the sepulcher, from the tomb, with fear and great joy, they did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hell! And they came and held him by the feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brethren that they may go into Galilee, and there shall they see him. Listen, 
The Easter message was meant to be shared. News this wonderful was meant to be shared. I get a kick out of some of the baby gender reveals that they do now. I saw one from a friend of mine's family the other day that uh, his child, they were discovered, and the husband got up and hit a golf ball that exploded blue to show they were having a boy. I've seen them where they throw up something and shoot it with a shotgun and it gives the color. I've seen hot rodders that put stuff in the mufflers and it would blow out to show whether it was a boy or girl. That's kind of cool stuff because they're so proud of what they're having. Listen, shouldn't we be proud of having the Savior? I mean, news this good, shouldn't it be shared? And first of all, he says it ought to be shared by ordained preachers and pastors. In verse 7, he called them disciples. Thank God for the original apostles. These men, he said in Acts 17, turned the world upside down with the Easter message. Soon after came Paul. Where would the church would be without this great theologian? Think about it. Paul was trained in the law. He studied under some of the greatest teachers. He took his extensive background in the Old Covenant theology and history and along with his first-hand revelations became the most important figure in the New Testament outside of Jesus Christ himself. Thank God for Paul and other important church fathers like Augustine, Luther, Hubmeyer, Spurgeon, Moody, and Billy, Billy Graham. Where would the church be without him? Where would the church be without great godly men and women like Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong and Bertha Smith and so many others? Listen, by ordinary proclaimers, let me qualify what an ordinary proclaimer looks like. An ordinary proclaimer. The Bible tells us in Romans, how, they sh how shall they hear without a preacher? It does not mean if you're not ordained and called to stand in a pulpit and preach, you are exempt from proclaiming the gospel. That in Romans literally means one who proclaims. You see, this is as those regular folks who had been touched by the Master's hand. These women could tell the Easter message because they had personally been affected by Jesus. Have you been personally affected by Jesus? Then tell the story. Have you? Are you? Someone should share the good news. Someone shared it with you. May have been your mother. May have been a neighbor. It may have been a grandmother or an aunt that took you to Bible school. It may have been a coach. Whoever it was, if you're born again, somebody told you about Jesus. And I've got news, the world's out there right now waiting on you to be their one. They're waiting on you. Your, your co-worker knows you go to church. They've seen your Facebook post. They've seen all the cute, beautiful little quips of Scripture and, and motivational thoughts you've posted on social media. But you have yet to tell them with your own mouth who Jesus is to you. The world needs to hear us tell the truth about Jesus. Listen, the world is groping in darkness and we hold our hand on the light switch. The world is drowning in trespasses and sins and we have the life preserver. Won't you join in getting the message out? Christ the risen Savior has left us a job. 
to do. And we can only do it together. I want you to think about this in the day that we live in. During the sweeping epidemic, COVID-19 is killing tens of thousands of people around the world. Just suppose with me for a moment, if you had the cure, we've heard all kind of ideas about different treatments. We've heard all kinds of things that some people are groping and grasping. We've heard false, lying, demonic, false prophets blow like they are somehow got the power to get rid of something. I'm going to tell you something. Turn them off. They are wolves among the sheep. Hear me today. In the world we live in, if you had the cure in abundance and you knew you had it, what would you do with it? Of course you know what you'd do with it. You would go and try to heal everyone you could. Listen, if all these people can slap somebody on the head, you ain't seen a bunch of faith healers on TV lately, have you? If they can do it, listen, I have said it, and I will make this known on social media today. If you've got the power, I will pay you. I will buy you all the Chick-fil-A lunch you want. I'll buy you the biggest steak for supper, and I will fly you around the country, and you can go empty out every children's hospital in America. Now put your money where your mouth is. The truth is only Jesus can do those things. And he's still doing them today. But he sure don't need you and me to bloat and blither about the power we have. We need to be about telling people how God can save their soul. Listen, you may get COVID-19. You may die with COVID-19. But COVID-19 cannot steal your soul. Jesus has overcome. You see, the Black Death in Europe killed millions. A third or more of all of Europe died in it. What if you were there with warehouses full of antibiotics? Would you think twice about giving it out? No. Ordinary people are making masks, ventilators, and coming up with new ways to save lives today. Then why do we as believers hide the gospel from the perishing? If our gospel be hidden, the Bible says, it is hidden from them that are perishing. Somebody told you. Whom will you tell this week? Listen, in closing, I want you to understand He is alive. The Easter message is one of resurrection. Jesus defeated His enemies. Death, hell, and the grave are all subservient to Him. Do you belong to Him? Do you belong to the Master? The Easter message is meant to be shared. How can you help us get the word out? Would you be willing to use your Facebook to share this live worship, to use your Twitter account, to use your Instagram, to use whatever means you have to pick up your old flip phone and call somebody and encourage them today in Christ. When all this breaks, I've heard every 
possible, possible scenario. You know, there's the people that are optimists, there are people who are realists, and there's people who are just Debbie Downers. They're pessimists. Everything's negative. And I've heard, oh, when this thing's over, everybody's just going to go back, and we'll probably have less than we did before. I'm praying as an eternal optimist that we're not going to have room in our churches to hold the masses. I'm praying that people will come. And I'm asking you today, if you're in the vicinity of this church and you've not been faithfully attending anywhere, that you be here the first Sunday we announce that we'll be coming back to worship. You say, well, how do you know you're going to? I don't. But what I do know, if we never do get back to it, then we'll just be with him and that'll be all right too. Listen, would you share the good news with your family, with your friends this week? Today, this blessed resurrection day, Easter, the day that we remember, recognize, and celebrate, not in memoriam, but in eternal glory, the resurrection of our Savior. May we, with our hearts, proclaim not just to the world, but in honor to him, he lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. August 9th of 1972. This boy fell on his face. Knowing his lostness because of faithful parents and Sunday school teachers and pastors who said, you need a Savior, and His name is Jesus. He lived for you without sin. He died on an old cross. They taught me that in Sunday school and Bible school. And they told me, but He is alive. And I left the back row and came to the altar of repentance there in Corner Baptist Church, and on my face, I prayed, oh Lord, save me. And that night, the Lord saved me. And forevermore, I am saved. May God bless you today. May you know before the sun goes down that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And if you do, tell somebody else. May He be praised. And may the world proclaim... He is alive. God bless you.